We're in a, a little bit of a series this month uh, called How Do I? How Do I? Last week we talked about how do I handle disappointment. Today we're focusing on how do I handle anxiety. So yesterday morning I got a call from uh, my mother. And it's a, it's a call that doesn't come in normally at that hour because she sleeps late. And um, I know she sleeps late. And so when a call comes in in an hour when I know she should be sleeping and it's on the early side, my internal red flags start to go up. When I heard her voice, they went up even further. And she said, Jeff, Dad's having some chest pains and we need to go to Fairfax. Um, they want to go to Fairfax because that's where uh, their, their doctors are and whatnot. And uh, I, of course, am thinking, how about we call an ambulance? But my parents, being the independent souls that they are, said, no, we want to go to Fairfax. And I said, I'm on my way. I ran upstairs, threw my clothes on, jumped in the car, went to their place, and then traveled very swiftly to uh, Fairfax Hospital. And uh, uh, long story short, my dad's okay. He's, uh, he was there overnight. They were doing some tests, and, um, um, and he's fine. He'll be coming home today. Um, but he just had a little episode, and better safe than sorry, you know. So, uh, but as I'm driving to my mom's house, I feel my anxiety level rising significantly. And, and I say out loud to the Lord, I have to talk to these people about how to handle anxiety tomorrow. This isn't a nice lesson to do this, uh, to do this with. I said, but I better start practicing what I'm going to tell them to do. And so I did. And my anxiety levels went down quite a bit. And I'm going to share that with you this morning, uh, how to make use of that. Um, listen, we all know Christians, all of us, we experience worry. We experience Anxiety. I'm not talking about anxiety attacks. I'm not talking about anxiety that is, uh, is overwhelming and debilitating. Um, those kinds of things, you know, require some, uh, some extra attention and, and help with people qualified to do so. But I mean, but we all have every day, every day we have things to be concerned about or worry about or fret about. Just from the words of Jesus in that passage we read today, it says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow we'll have trouble enough to worry about. Truer words. I don't know if you ever said, tomorrow we'll have trouble enough. And it does, doesn't it? We all experience that. The reading today came out of the part of three chapters in Matthew that we call the Sermon on the Mount. And the passage that we read today starts with the word, therefore. Therefore, do not be anxious, do not worry. And the presence of the word therefore tells us that it's connected to and should be understood in light of what has just been talked about. And, the, and what he's talked about so far in that chapter is two things. Number one, the hidden life of the disciple. When you give, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Don't give to be seen by others. Fasting, when you fast, don't put on a show to be seen by others do things in secret. When you pray, pray in secret. Go into your private place and pray. Don't make a show of it. And he says three times, your father 
who sees what you do in secret will reward you openly. So the bottom line, the baseline for any development in the spiritual life is to have a private devotional life. A private devotional life. If we're not taking in on a regular basis, then we're already starting with one hand tied behind our backs when life throws things at us. The second thing Jesus talks about in that passage before we get to the one we read is about our allegiance to Jesus. Our allegiance to Jesus over all things. And in particular, money in this passage. You cannot serve two masters, Jesus said. You'll either hate one and love the other. You'll hate one and you'll love the other. You can't serve two masters. And he says specifically, you cannot serve God and mammon or money. And so he talks about those things. And after all that, he says, therefore, therefore, since you are understanding the need to develop a personal hidden life, with your Savior, and because you are giving your allegiance to Him, and you don't want to try to serve two masters, therefore, he says, do not be anxious about your life. And even though we want to be strong in our faith and our commitment to Jesus, anxieties often, regularly plague our thoughts sometimes creating great uncertainty, sometimes creating great fear. And Jesus sets in front of us our two, two of our most basic needs, food and clothing. Food and clothing, both of which, by the way, were much harder to come by in that day than in ours. When Jesus talked to them about lacking food or lacking clothing, their ears perked up because that was a very real and often grim reality in their lives. And he says, don't worry about these things. Now, if this was being said today, especially to, to Western Christians, we may have trouble relating. I mean, we can, we can join online clubs that deliver pre-made meals to our front door and boxes of curated clothes for us to try on and uh, send back if we don't like. And so maybe Jesus would have had to say to us something along the lines of, therefore, do not worry about your Wi-Fi or your Amazon Prime uh, account. Or maybe that would, maybe you'd ring a little dear, uh, closer to that. But Jesus says, don't be anxious about what you will eat about what you will wear, and he offers two illustrations, as you know, from nature um, to make the point, birds and flowers. Says, consider the birds. By the way, Jesus is not advocating carelessness. Not at, he's not advocating a lack of industry or work. Birds are very hardworking little things. If you ever watch a sparrow or some bird, they're always collecting, gathering food, bedding, etc. They're very busy people. But he says, he says, he uses the birds and says, your father in heaven is always providing for them. 
And then he says, consider the flowers of the field, these beautiful flowers. You can almost imagine Jesus just pointing them out there on the hillside as he's preaching this sermon. He says, don't, he says, consider the flowers even more beautiful than Solomon. And from what I understand, Solomon was quite the clothes horse. He loved his clothes. He said, he says, don't, don't worry about it. These flowers are, are more beautiful than Solomon and his best duds. These are more beautiful. Your father clothes the fields and the flowers. He provides these things. Aren't your lives more valuable than birds? Aren't your lives more valuable than the flowers and the grasses? Between the birds and the flowers, he, he says, do you think that you could add one hour to your life by worrying? You think you could add one hour to your life? He says, listen, don't worry about tomorrow. Now, we're not naive. We know. We live with the awareness that there's trouble on the horizon, don't we? If you're a human being living in this world, living life, you know that there are a couple of things on the horizon. You know there'll be something joyful. Like when I, I look forward to seeing my grandkids. Always brings me joy. That's something good on the horizon. But we also know there are also problems, aggravations, frustrations, challenges, even crisis that's on the horizon. And Jesus is saying, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't compound your worries today by dragging tomorrow into today. Now, what Jesus is not saying here is to avoid diligent and careful planning. Sometimes you'll find a rather naive soul that says, well, we're not supposed to worry about tomorrow, Jesus says, so I just don't plan. Now, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. One of my favorite verses comes out of Proverbs 24, uh, 3 and uh, 4. It says, a house is built by wisdom and becomes strong through good sense. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with all sorts of precious riches and valuables. Or as Kenneth Taylor beautifully paraphrased it, any enterprise is built by wise planning, becomes strong through common sense, and profits wonderfully by keeping abreast of the facts. Jesus is not telling us to not be concerned. He's not telling us not to do diligence in careful planning. He's saying, do not let worry and anxiety dominate your feelings and your thinking about these things. It's not to avoid wise planning. What he's saying is that, that obsessively worrying, obsessively worrying about the future accomplishes nothing good and nothing helpful. What it does do when we are preoccupied and obsessively letting anxiety rule our hearts, letting, our, uh, letting fretting and fearfulness dominate our thinking, it doesn't do anything good. What it does do is this. 
It does infect hope with pessimism. It distracts faith and drains and steals energy. It jumbles our priorities and robs us of seeking first the kingdom of God. And that is really the issue here. The disciples seeking first the kingdom of God. That's what all that stuff in the beginning had been about. That's why he ends the section by saying, seek first the kingdom of God. Earlier in this same chapter, Jesus gives us his model prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What's the next line? Thy what? Kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The order is not accidental here. And Jesus reinforces the idea, as I said in that final couple of verses of the chapter. In verses 31 through 33, He says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, Oh no, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows already that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God. We flip it in a heartbeat, don't we? We really do. I work with a um, I coach, a, a gentleman uh, in the country somewhere that um, is an executive, and he does very well. He's got great, great uh, savings. He has uh, great uh, plans in place. He has accumulated quite a bit of money uh, in savings to keep him going for months, if not through a year, uh, if he was to lose his job, which he did so recently. And this man, who loves Christ, was absolutely incapacitated. Worry began to dominate his thinking. Even though he had more than most of us in this room have for such a case, he just could not be at rest. He could not focus on anything else. He could not deal with anything else. Everything began to, be, to circle around this, this thing. I've got to find work. I've got to find work. I've got to find work. Now, by all means, he did need to find work. But the way that anxiety was impacting him was making him unable to do other things that give life and that help life. Pay attention to his family, other responsibilities, and his relationship with the Lord. We flip things in a heartbeat. Jesus, I have to invest my time, my energies, my emotions, and my effort getting more of what I think I need and protecting what I have. Sound familiar? Right? So, that's not living as a disciple. There's no joy in that, is there? One thing I would say characterized this individual, that, a characteristic of this individual was that there was no joy. There was no joy in his life until this got fixed. 
So how do we handle obsessive, worrying? How do we handle anxiety? Now, listen, we're not talking about concern. We're not required to be unconcerned. And it would be all but impossible to do so. If you have children, you know this is a fact without question. It's almost impossible to not be concerned. And, and, and listen, the scriptures even tell us that Jesus had a troubled heart. He was troubled. Jesus felt concern. He felt deep concern. He experienced that. His concern for us is genuine. And, and, and our concern for our lives, our families, and our future is not sinful. But disciples of Jesus are concerned first with God's rule in their lives, and all concerns are, are oriented towards kingdom priorities. Lord, I am concerned to provide for my family. I'm concerned also that I'm able to support your kingdom work. I want to reach out. I, want to, I, I, need, I need work, but I know that that workplace is part of your kingdom purpose for my life and a mission field for me, etc., etc. Everything becomes oriented toward this idea. Lord, how does this help me seek first your kingdom? I want to seek first your kingdom. I want you to be my first priority. And so as I'm making decisions, as I'm deciding what's important to go after, as I'm deciding what I need or don't need, Lord, help me always to be keeping a kingdom perspective, to keep you first in what I'm thinking. Paul gives us some insights on managing anxiety. He knew what it felt like. Paul knew what anxiety felt like. In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 28, Paul's gone through a whole list of, of all these things he's experienced. Incredible amounts of physical uh, torture and damage and uh, persecution. But he finishes the list with this in verse 28. And apart from other things, <laughs> apart from all that stuff, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Apart from all that stuff, Every day, I fight with anxiety. Every day. That should make you feel good. Every day, I battle with anxiety that could overwhelm me if I don't handle it the right way. So, so let's be clear. To experience worry or anxiety is not something sinful. Caring intensely about others, not things, but people. Caring intensely for people is an important part of being human. 
It's an important part of who we are as human beings. In Philippians, Paul's once again in jail, as he was apt to be. And there were probably many things he could have been anxious about in that scenario. But, but I, want to, I want you to look at this. And this is in Philippians, I, th- I think it's chapter 2, and verses 25 through 28. Listen, listen to what he says here. He says, he says, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God showed mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. Now, this is the same Paul who later on in chapter 4 says, be anxious for nothing. And yet he confesses to his own anxiety. Paul experiences deep concern. He's anxious about his fellow co-worker. He's anxious that he's able to get where he needs to go and see the people Paul wants him to see. And he's concerned about that. And that concern will weigh on him until he knows that they have received him. And then he'll be less anxious about the situation. Being dominated by anxiety. Being dominated by worry. It's what Paul's referring to in Philippians 4 when he says, be anxious for nothing. He's talking about being dominated by that, being controlled by that. Paul experienced anxiety, but it did not override his trust and confidence in God's sovereignty and power on his behalf. Paul's anxiety never took him into the place of forgetting whose he was. His anxiety and concern never took him into the place of forgetting what his father would do for him. His anxieties and worries never took him to a place where he forgot that the God who feeds the bird and clothes the earth with beauty cares for him and values him. He never let those things escape his thinking. His concern was always in the parentheses of those facts and truth. So what does he advise? What does Paul advise for us in order to combat anxiousness taking control? And I'm going to give you these from Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 says, rejoice always. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, let me emphasize it again, he says. Let me emphasize again, I will say, rejoice. To rejoice in the face of, of all worry and anxiety. 
to rejoice in the face of crisis is not foolish naivete. It is to aggressively refocus trust in the right place. Rejoicing is an act of war against fear. Rejoicing is an act of war against anxiety dominating my life. It is to aggressively take it to worry with words of rejoicing and confidence in God's goodness and in His power. Rejoice, he says. Rejoice. That's the first thing. Rejoice always. When you are practicing rejoicing, when you practice gratitude, when you are constantly in a place day by day of saying, thank you, Lord. God, you're good. I can put my trust in you. My hope in you is not misplaced. No matter what I face today, God, you are good. You are good. And you're my loving Father, and I can trust you. That's number one. Rejoice always. That is to aggressively, day by day, refocus trust in the right place. Number two, he says this. Verse five let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Number two is this. Let your rejoicing be your testimony to others. Let your rejoicing be your testimony to others. Paul says, let, let, he says, let, let people know the reasonableness of what you're doing. It's one thing to be among uh, a non-believers a non in a situation where uh, maybe you've, you're experiencing some crisis or something painful, and they're aware of it, right? And then you sit there and you just go, oh, well, praise the Lord. They're going to think you're nuts, right? Why in the world are you talking that way? Don't, don't, it doesn't, that doesn't seem reasonable. Aren't you worried? Oh, no, no, I just have all my trust in Jesus. That does not sound reasonable, right? Think of your non-believing friends. Does that sound reasonable to them that you think that way or say those things? No. And so he says here, let your reasonableness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. So that's an entirely different way of framing this. So you're at work and something comes up in conversation that causes a co-worker to say, oh man, you must be so worried. You must be so upset. And you say something like this, you know, I'm a lot less worried than I could be. Don't, don't ever play the game of saying, oh no, I have perfect peace. No, 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 no. No, you don't. No, you don't. But Jeff, the Bible says he'll keep you in perfect peace. Yes, yes. It says a lot of things he's going to do for you, but you're in process. Most of that stuff's process. Hello? Don't play some stupid game with people that you're something you're not. Listen, the key to testimony is being honest about your struggle, but referencing the one who gets you through the struggle. You see? I said, well, I'm a lot less worried than I could be. I'm just giving thanks to God. <laughs> giving thanks to God. 
That doesn't sound very reasonable. You've got a major issue here on your hands. Are you thanking God for this situation? He says, and you might say something along the lines of, oh, I know, I know, I know. It's bad. But here's what I also know. And I double dog dare you to say this to somebody. Here's what I also know. Jesus is with me. He is at hand. And so I know that all the strength and all the wisdom and all the resources I need to see this through are available to me through Him. That's why prayer is such a big part of my life. Oh, what an opening for a gospel conversation. I'm a lot less stressed than I could be. I'm feeling some stress. I'm feeling what that's like. But I could be a lot, I could be crazy. (laughs) I could be flipping out. But here's what I know, I have to tell you. I know that Jesus is with me. And I know that all the resources I need to get me through this are available. That's why prayer is so important to me. Let your rejoicing be a testimony to others. Which leads us right into number three. Uh, Number three, make prayer, we have to hurry here, make prayer the drumbeat you march to, not the last resort you turn to. Let prayer be the drumbeat you march to, not the last resort you turn to. In verse 6, he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You say, well, Jeff, you know, whenever I have a crisis, I pray. Well, that's going to help you a little bit. Let me tell you what will help you more. Integrating prayer into your daily life. It's that hidden life we talked about a little earlier. When prayer is integrated into our day, it stabilizes us. It, it grounds us in a greater reality than what's in front of us, and it moves our focus off of ourselves and on to the Lord who is at hand. Like what one author said when he said this, desperate disciples should not suppress their anxiety or strive to overcome it before they pray but instead make prayer an avenue for your anxiety. Make it something for your anxiety to travel along. Rather than being tied up in knots, give your anxieties an outlet, a place to travel out of conflicting you and into being comforted in God's faithfulness. And finally, number four, elevate your thinking. Elevate your thinking. Mark wonderfully and serendipitously quoted that verse for us. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. It's a very practical, practical reality. And as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So if you give predominance to negative thinking, to give predominance to, oh no, oh no, oh no, 
then that's simply going to reproduce itself in you and cause greater anxiety and greater concern. What should we do instead? Elevate your thinking. Think on things above. Think about things that are true, what God is, who God is, what is lovely, what is of good report. God promises. God will do. God will provide. That is where I'm going to let my thoughts rest. Is there anything worthy of praise? Absolutely. The God who promises that he will provide all that I need in the middle of this situation. So, let me conclude this with just this. In verse 7, Paul says this in that chapter. He says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The God of peace will guard your heart. And so if we choose to lead a life of rejoicing, if we choose to turn our concerns away from ourselves and outward to the benefit of others by letting our testimony be in their ears, if we make prayer the drumbeat of our lives, the day-to-day of our lives, we march to that rather than it being the last resort. And if we elevate our thinking to think along lines that God wants us to think, then God, the God of peace, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Not free you from every concern, not remove every ounce of anxiety, not deliver you from everyday issues of concern or even worry. It's life. But His peace will guard you from becoming overwhelmed, incapacitated, fear-driven. When we do those things, concern can take its right place. Intense concern can take its right place, and God will guard our hearts.